All right, good morning. Happy Easter to everybody. All right, I hope you're having a, a great morning. Um, it might be tough for some of you. I know it's taxes weekend. I apologize for that. Taxes and Easter on the same weekend, that's, that's not good. It's been rigged uh, against us. Um, hey, we're going to start here in our time in the Word, but I wanted to give you a quick announcement. There's a lot of stuff going on in the church, so if you would... Uh, look at the weekly that you got on your way in. There's a baptism coming up. If you want to be baptized or have questions about being baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, most importantly, if you're visiting, we'd love for you to fill out that Connect card. You can just put your name um, and address, social security number. No, you don't need to go that deep. Um, just give us some information about that you were here. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about our church, uh, we'd love to answer those, and we certainly do uh, pray for your prayer requests. You can put that card in the offering box on your way out or uh, drop it off at our information table. Uh, I'm going to have you, believe it or not, stand just one more time um, because we're going to read God's word together and pray real quickly and then we're going to jump into our Easter uh, sermon today. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 11 verse 25. This is the word of God. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Let me pray for us. God, uh, we're thankful that you have brought us to this place today. And we're thankful that your word uh, speaks to us the truth of the creator who made us. And so today as we hear your truth, whether it is challenging or reinvigorating or encouraging, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would remember that your word spoken are meant to transform our hearts. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you as we celebrate your resurrection from the grave and we celebrate your resurrection from the grave each and every day of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So I want to give you just an insider, kind of behind-the-scenes pastor's trade secret. Um, When we stand up to preach the Word of God, our hope is that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that through the preaching of the Word, that would happen. If you are a believer, we pray that the Word of God would be preached in such a way that it would hit your heart, that you'd be changed, transformed, and renewed, and that you would be grown into a deeper follower of Christ. And so... Uh, I'm going to talk really specifically about how you can be changed today if you don't know Christ, how you can be grown up if you do. Uh, But just to get back to that taxes issue, I can't kind of get it out of my mind. Uh, A wise person once said that the only sure things in life are death and taxes. Does anybody know who said that? If you're at the first service, don't say. Anybody know? I thought it was Yogi Berra. Who knows Yogi Berra? Famous baseball player. Um, It was actually Benjamin Franklin. Um, I want to say today that Benjamin was not correct. Today we celebrate, I believe, the most certain thing that has defined human history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me say that again. The most certain thing that has defined human history, whether you agree with this or not, The most certain thing that has defined human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Now, we know what happened. 
I know that there is a lot of stuff and a lot of noise in the culture saying that maybe the historicity, the actual events of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are at odds with what people think history is. But the historical evidence, on the contrary, is overwhelming. We talked about the crucifixion on Good Friday. And so we know the death of Jesus was witnessed by scores of people, including Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers, for the most part, were not big fans of Jesus Christ. So they were there. They witnessed His death. We know from history that Jesus died on a cross. Second thing we know. We know the burial place, and we know that it was well known and guarded. We know it was a tomb, and there was a rock rolled in front of it. It was surrounded and guarded by Roman guards, and it was being watched by people who hated Jesus Christ. They thought something might happen to his body, and they wanted to make sure that it, that it didn't happen. So we know that this, this, uh, the body of Jesus Christ was buried in the tomb. And we know that the tomb was empty on Sunday morning as witnessed by many people. There is no doubt, there is no way to contradict the historical evidence that Jesus died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. The tomb was witnessed as empty and Jesus appeared to his disciples and as many as 500 people after his resurrection and before his ascension. We know that disciples saw that his wounds from the cross, uh, they could touch them. They could see where they were on his body. There is a historical reality that Jesus rose from the grave. There is also a spiritual reality to the resurrection of the uh, resurrection of Christ and his death on the cross. And this is the spiritual reality. Paul talks about it in his letters. He says this, the only power to live life to the full is in Jesus and the power of the cross is the only power that can forgive redeem and restore humanity. That's what Paul says. He also says that if the resurrection did not happen, then your life and what you think about Christ is futile. Let me say that again. If if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then your life and your thinking about life is futile. And all we have to do, because there is nothing, we are nothing, is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. So if you came here today thinking that Jesus was a good man, good moral man, I want to feel good this Easter, Jesus makes me feel good, he's kind of the American feel-good thing, I'm an American and I'm here, and you believe that Jesus may not have rose from the grave, but it's immaterial, you are mistaken. Jesus must raise from the grave, it must be true, or our lives are futile. And our thinking about it is futile. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is the sure thing. There is very little else that is sure on this planet. His resurrection from the grave is the sure thing. It's historically real and it is spiritually real. And this is what I like about Jesus. He says things that are clear that are sure, that you might think are blunt, that I might think are blunt. They are not mere suggestions, or in the words of our common day vernacular, alternative facts or fake news. Jesus tells us the truth. 
if you read the text of the Gospels, when Jesus speaks, we know that the Bible is reliable. We know that it is the Word of God. It is infallible, authoritative. It is what interprets us. We don't necessarily get to interpret it. God speaks. We listen. The Bible is true. And what He says about Himself in the Gospels is absolutely true. So, with that premise in mind, I want to spend a few minutes in the verse that we just read, uh, John eleven twenty five today, because Jesus something, uh, says something in this verse that he is sure about. He is 100% sure in what he says in this verse. And I believe what he says in this passage is something that could change your life. And Jesus doesn't want to leave you hanging in mystery or doubt. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't want to leave you hanging in mystery or doubt. It says in Scripture that when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, that we are without excuse. We don't even need to read the Bible to know that God exists, that we are sinful and separated from Him, and we need a mediator, that person being Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. So let me set the stage of what's going on in the verse that I just read. Uh, This particular scene in Jesus' life takes place shortly before his crucifixion. And he has found out that Mary's brother, his name is Lazarus, not Mary his mother, but Mary Magdalene has a brother named Lazarus. And you know the story. Lazarus Lazarus is severely ill and he eventually dies from his illness. Now Jesus comes to the place where Lazarus is buried and he comes... Four days after Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead in the tomb for four days. Jesus comes to the scene and he has this conversation with Martha. Martha is Mary's sister. And Martha has this very interesting dialogue with Jesus in this particular passage as we get set up to this verse. And she says this to Jesus. Jesus, if you would have been here... Lazarus might not have died. You could have healed him. If only you would have come four days ago. You knew that he was sick. You chose not to come. You've now come. It's too late. He's in the tomb. He's been buried four days. There is nothing that you can do. But if you would have been here, Jesus, you might have been able to heal him. It's an interesting thing because my heart reflects that a lot. I want Jesus to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And... This is a real shocking thing to people who live in our culture. Jesus does what he does in his own timing and in his own will. That's what we call sovereignty. God is running the cosmos exactly the way that he wants it to be run. We don't get to determine when he comes, what he does for us. Much like Martha, we question that and we wonder, why does Jesus not do, why does God not do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. If you would have been here, Lazarus might not have died. Then she says this, and this is where it gets a little confusing. She says, but whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Doesn't that sound like she's kind of turning a corner? She realizes Jesus didn't come. She's a little upset. Okay. Jesus should have been here. Should have healed Lazarus. He's been dead four days. You should have come. But you didn't. And so whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Oh, Martha is demonstrating such a depth of faith, isn't she? And then Jesus says, 
to her, don't worry, your brother will rise again. And then Martha kind of turns another corner. So now she's in a circle, okay, if you haven't kept up. Three corners equals a circle. She says this, I know that he will rise again on the last day. She's referring back to Jewish tradition, Jewish theology, Jewish belief, that there will be a resurrection of people on the last day to judgment. So she's been mad at Jesus, didn't heal Lazarus. Then she says, but you can possibly do something. If you ask God, God will give it to you. And then she says, oh, well, God will just rise, uh, raise him on the last day. Martha seems confused here. She is trusting, but not trusting. She has some belief, but she doesn't have belief. She, she knows that the impossible is possible, but not really possible. Now, that sounds confusing, and as I say it, I'm kind of in my mind confused, but isn't that the state of our heart? We trust, but we don't really trust. We believe, you know, we come to church, we say things, we know verses, we talk to other people, we call ourselves believers, but we don't really believe. We know that Jesus can do the impossible, but we really think it's not possible. Jesus' response is telling, and this is where we'll spend our time today in verse 25. Let me read it for you again. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I'm going to divide this verse up into, I don't know, four or five, maybe six different parts. I want to start with the first two words of this verse. Remember, this is a big statement of Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But he says, I am. In the language, in the culture, in the understanding of Jewish belief, when Jesus said, I am, it is a definitive statement. So whatever he says after that is what he is saying. This is true. It is definitive. There is no question. There is no doubt. I am, and then he's going to go on to say what he is, but the I am is a definitive statement. Let me say it this way. When he says, I am, he is saying, I am the promised Messiah, and I am the one and only Messiah. I say that with emphasis, as my English teacher used to say. Say it with emphasis. I say it with emphasis because... We believe, but we don't really believe that Jesus is the only one. I, I celebrate Easter, really I celebrate 365, 24-7. But we celebrate, you know, once a year with, with a lot more, uh, I don't know, flair, if you want to call it that. Because Jesus says He is the I Am, the promised one and the only one. It also means this. So he's the promised one and the only one. He also holds the power to do what he says he is about to do. So I am definitive statement, the promised one and the only one, and he holds the power and he alone holds the power to do what he says he's going to do. Now, the people who are listening to him have a a dilemma. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his reasoning out that Jesus Christ had to be who he said he was 
or else he is crazy. There were three options. Jesus says, I am God, I am the I am, the promised one, the only one. I hold the power to change people's lives, to renew, restore, redeem, forgive people. It's either true, and he is Lord, C.S. Lewis says, or he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. See, Martha is kind of in that weird realm of, well, he's Lord, but man, that sounds crazy. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he's crazy. No, Martha, you and I are crazy. We're the ones that don't get it. Jesus, the I am, has to be true, or this is total craziness. Now, this is what he said. He says, I am the resurrection. Now, we know what resurrection, and maybe even we have a glimpse of what he means when he says, I am the resurrection. It's obviously, he is the power. Not a power. He is the power of the resurrection. He is the one who can raise a dead, spiritually dead life, and in this case with Lazarus, a physically dead life, and in the future with his crucifixion death, his own life, he is the one with the power. Nobody else can do that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three have the essence of Godness. They're three separate persons. They are God. They hold the power. Jesus is saying, I am the power of the resurrection. I can change through my power. I can change people's hearts. We get that, right? Bring people back. The power of the resurrection. Oh, that's great. And then we move on. And we shouldn't move on because there is another and additional impressive meaning of what the resurrection means. Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection, the word literally means, I am the rising up. I am the awakening. When Jesus says this in John chapter 11, he is saying that I am the rising up of a new reality. I am the awakening. I am the definitive revolution in the entirety of human history. That's what he's stating. He is here to bring a revolution of the heart to change people from sinful, corrupt, destroyed, despairing people into new creations. And only he can do that. That is the power of the resurrection and it is the rising up of the new reality. He says it when he's talking with the disciples. There is a new covenant in my blood. There are two covenants that everybody exists under. The old covenant where you try to earn your way to God and you have to do sacrifices and you have to do all the stuff that the Israelites did. That's what they believed they needed to do. That's what God told them they needed to do. And then the new covenant in Jesus' blood is the fulfillment of all that. A sacrifice of His blood once and for all, for all sin. He is the power of the resurrection and He is the new reality of the revolution of his, of his change in the human heart by His power in the entirety of human history. Now He says this, I am the resurrection. And He says, I am the life. The life. This word means, uh, it's a Greek word, it's Zoe. Some people name their uh, baby Zoe. Very cute name. Um, it's a Greek word. Zoe. The Greeks from which we have descended, uh, descended into intellectually, philosophically, many of of the things that we have are, are from the Greeks. The Greeks used this word to talk about life, but it wasn't the physical life. It wasn't the breathing and the, you know, all the biological functions of life. 
It was about the vitality of life. The Greeks believed that Zoe was the complete pursuit of life. It was sucking the marrow out of life. If you don't know that quote, Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, okay? Carpe diem, seize the day, drink the marrow out of life. There's probably somebody else who said that, but I watch too many movies. Um, Jesus is saying that he is the vitality of life that you are searching for. You will not have the vitality of life you are searching for through some epic adventure in the mountains. Go have those. You won't find true, true life. You won't find the complete vitality of life. You won't find it in a career. You won't find it in a relationship other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. You won't find it in more money, more stuff, less stuff. You won't find it in, you know, being a more moral person. You will find the true vitality of life according to what Jesus says in Jesus. He is the life. John 10 verse 10 talks about that God wants to give us abundant life. He and He alone has the power to give us life as it was meant to be lived. That's why it's so interesting to me that you talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, raising from the grave. He is coming back again. And I... And and I ask people, do you want that person to be your king? Because you will choose a king in this life. Most of us choose ourselves. Okay. Jesus wants to be our king. He wants to give us abundant life. He wants to give us a life that we were meant to live. And so many people say, no, I'm going to go back to my other kings. And you you scratch your head and you think, well, what, what is going on? Well, it kind of speaks to this in this next section because he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So you want to know Jesus, the great I am, the promised one who has the only power to change you, to forgive you, to resurrect you. He has the power of the resurrection. He and he alone and what he teaches, his truth is the rising up of a new reality. It's an awakening. It's a definitive revolution in the entirety of human history. He wants to give you the vitality and completeness, uh, the abundant life that He promises. And He says, you get it, when you believe in Me. Whoever believes in Me. We have access to the new reality and the abundant life, to the resurrection and to the life, only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. Jesus. It is not Christians through Jesus and your other stuff. It is not through your Jesus the way you have misunderstood him to be. It's through the Jesus as he has revealed himself in scripture. Only through Jesus do we have access to the new reality and the abundant life. And he says that you must believe Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, believe. This word means to think to be true and to trust in the person of Christ and the power of Christ. Uh, we, we say this word a lot around New City Church. It starts with R and it ends with epent. Okay? 
So like Sesame Street, sound it out. Er, repent. Repent. Repent! Oh, oh, that church, the scandal, they told me to repent. Doesn't that mean something really bad? No! We talk about that word a lot because the word means to have a change of mind. This is how Roman puts it. He says that our proneness, Paul says that humans' proneness is to suppress the truth. Like to to push it down, literally. We know it. We see it. God's revelation in creation. God's revelation in our conscience. We see the truth and we push it down. We suppress and we suppress and we suppress. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he uses believe as a thinking to be true, a trust in the person of Christ. You're entrusting your life to him. And it involves a repentance, a changing of the mind. And, you know, I get, I get passionate about maybe thinking that if I express it with some emotion, that God will get into that brain and heart of yours and say, you need to change your mind. I want to change your mind. He says, though he die, yet shall he live. He's talking about a death that is both physical and spiritual. Okay, when you were born, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were conceived with a sinful nature. Sorry to break it to you. I just read verses, okay? That's what they say. Sometimes I don't like them either, but that's what it says. When you're conceived, it's, it's a sinful nature within you. And in Romans, it says, your sin on the spectrum, okay? Let's say, you know, you've told one light, one white lie in your whole life. Okay, I'd like to meet you and shake your hand. Good for you. Versus, you know, you're a murdering, horrible, you know, beast of a person. No matter what the spectrum... You have sinned. And in Romans it says you've fallen short of the glory of God. And because of sin, you will physically die like Lazarus. Uh, Some of you who do CrossFit, you might live longer than some of the rest of us. I don't do CrossFit. The the interesting thing is this woman, the last person on the planet who was born in the 1800s just died. She was 117 years old. That's a lot. I had an uncle who got to like 106, 107. That's a lot. I don't know if I want to go to 117. Like the knees are hurting a little already at 47. Doesn't matter. The death rate per person, as one theologian said, or excuse me, the death rate is one per person. Okay, so you're going to die. You've spiritually died in your sin. You physically are going to die. And Jesus says, even though you die physically and spiritually, yet shall you live through belief in Jesus Christ, the changing of the mind to believe and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, you will live. You are not able to not die. That's a double negative meaning. You're going to die. In your sin, you are dead. But in Christ through belief you get the resurrection and the life and there there is this great spectrum of death and there is this trajectory of life 
All of us are dead in our sin without Christ. And we can have, through the resurrection, a promised new trajectory of abundant life. The way it was created to be lived, only available through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. The insider secret, what I pray for, is that someone or someone sitting here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, I'm not trying to to, uh, pound you into becoming a moral, stale, you know, uppity Christian person. I don't like them either. I'm one of them sometimes. I want you to know the power of the resurrection in your life. You can be raised spiritually and you will be raised physically to new life in Christ if you will repent and believe in the God expressed Himself through Jesus Christ of Scripture. It's only available through repentance and belief. I want you to have that life. We're going to come to the communion table. And communion is for believers. And I'm hoping that somebody here, someone's here, Jesus has saved them. I can't save you. A prayer can't save you. Jesus can save you. Maybe he, for the first time He's spoken to you. He's changed your heart. You have entered into new life from your old life. And you can come forward and celebrate for the first time communion. The body that was broken and was resurrected from the grave. You can take it in remembrance of Christ. You can dip it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Your morality will not forgive you of your sin. Only Jesus can do that. You can come to this table. You can remember that you can have resurrection and life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, on this uh, Easter Sunday, I know that I desperately want your power to change the dark places in my heart that would rather do my own thing, serve myself, be my own Lord. And I know that that is not life, that is death. And so through your resurrection power, would you continue to grow in me as a follower of Christ's new life? Would you maybe give to someone for the first time their new life right in this moment? And would you help us understand that the way you created us to live in communion with you and worship of you every single day and every single moment of our life is only available through Jesus Christ. We will chase apparitions, fantasies for the rest of our life if we don't turn to you. I pray that that would happen right now and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.